As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you. And this morning's passage can be found on page 1030. 1030. Um, It just never grows old to be able to encounter God together. It is one of the most pronounced gifts that God gives to His people that we have one another and that we can be unified in our hearts, um, in our purpose, and in our mission, and gather here. Um, I love that we are a part of a church where worship is central. We're going to look at what does it mean to be around the throne this morning. And, I mean, almost everything else is going to pass away, but worship is going to remain forever. So this is a this is a pretty important practice for us as a church to, to learn, to listen, to encounter God, to ascribe to Him the worth that is uh, due to His name. And um, our worship team does an amazing job, so I'm so grateful for each of them. Uh, Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to begin with a, a small reading from uh, the book The Magician's Nephew. Um, I've learned that's by C.S. Lewis. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia. And I honestly have learned more, probably, theology from children's books than I have from theology books. And so, um, even if you're not familiar with these stories, I think they will ring true to you. Um, The Magician's Nephew is, uh, I believe, the fourth book that was released by C.S. Lewis because people wondered where did Narnia actually come from. So this is an account of the creation of Narnia, and it's about uh, the story of Uh, two children, Polly and Diggory. They have magic rings that will um, transport them into different worlds. And in the scene that I'm going to read to you this morning, um, they are overseeing Aslan, speak into existence, the world of Narnia. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful... He could hardly bear it. Then, two wonders happened at the same moment. One was the voice that was suddenly joined by other voices. More voices than you could possibly count. They are, were, were within harmony with it, but far higher up the scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently one by one as they do on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness. The next moment a thousand, thousand points of light leaped out. Single stars, constellations, and planets. Brighter and bigger than any in our world. There were no clouds. The new stars and the new voices began at exactly the same time. If you had ever seen it and heard it as Diggory did, you would have felt quite certain that it was one of the stars themselves which were singing. And it was the first voice, the deep one, which made them appear and made them sing. 
Now, after this account, animals begin to come on the scene, and they're all singing a song to Aslan, who is the Christ figure in this story. The, the kids have this side conversation to themselves. It says, look here, said Diggory to Polly. I've got to go after him. Aslan, I mean, the lion. I must speak to him. Do you think we can, said Polly? I wouldn't dare. Now, Diggory's mother was deathly ill back in England. He said, I've got to. It's about mother. If anyone could give me something that would do her good, it would be him. So, there's this scene where creation leaps into existence. Diggory is at the point of his deepest need. His mother is on a sickbed back in England, and he says, if there's anyone that could do her good, it would be him, the one that created everything. So this is a a similar scene to what we're going to look at as we look at Revelation chapter 4. We're going to see the song of creation being sung and celebrated around the throne. And this is about, this morning, this isn't just about an esoteric look at theology. This is about you bringing the deepest questions of your life before the throne of God and experiencing His peace. Now, every time that I sit with someone and they begin to unpack their story to me, there's always deep questions about why did this happen? And why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Why did this not work out the way that I thought it was going to work out? Right? We all have those kinds of questions. But in Revelation chapter 4, not only do we get to bring those questions, but we get to find the answer. We get to go to the throne room of God where the chaos of this world and the chaos that exists in our own hearts finds peace in the presence of God that's ruling and reigning over everything. So I want you to think about if you could ask God any question about your existence, if you could ask him anything about your story, if there was anyone that could do you good, it would be him and it would be at this place and it would be before his throne. So if you um, are able and you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 4? We're going to read the entire chapter. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. 
And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father, at the same time, we feel so distant from this picture, yet drawn in. Confusion can enter our minds. Weariness can enter our bodies. Just the reality of living in a fallen world. I pray that you would help take all of those things captive before your word, that you would capture our imaginations and our hearts. I pray that you would not divorce in these moments between our hearts and our head and our hands. I pray that we would have a living theology that would make a difference at the deepest points of our life. I pray especially for those that have perplexing questions, questions that there seems to be no answer to that they would find peace before your throne. I pray that you would help us to see clearly the one seated on the throne and that that would make a difference as we live our lives here. I pray that you give us perspective and joy and worship as we come before your throne. I pray that we would be reinvigorated as your people as we encounter you in the fullness of who you are so that Jesus is glorified. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of be at the center point of the book of Revelation. Everything that comes before chapters 4 and 5 kind of hinge on what's going on in chapters 4 and 5. Everything that goes on after in uh, chapters 6 through 22, they're dependent on what's taking place in the throne room of God. So all around you have, um, in the first couple of chapters, you saw some churches that had some good things going on. You saw some churches that were uh, failing to hit the mark in some ways. And you're going to see, as the book of Revelation unfolds, that there is just pure chaos that goes on inside of the world. And everybody's trying to make sense of what's going on. What is their experience? What is the meaning of history? What does it mean to be the people of God inside of a world that's filled with chaos? What does it mean to be the people of God inside of a world where your own heart is something that you don't even understand? And the answer to all of that is the one that's seated on the throne. As we encounter the throne, the experience for us is supposed to be peace, right? If you look at all of the chaos that exists inside of the world, um, the throne room of God is a chaos-free zone. I I love this image in verse 6. Look at it with me. It says, And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So around the throne, complete tranquility, right? All throughout Scripture, the sea is a picture of chaos and things that are out of control. Inside of heaven's throne room, complete peace, right? 
It doesn't mean that there's not chaos going on inside the world. It doesn't mean that you're not bringing chaos inside of your own hearts before God. But if we approach this throne with faith, the experience will be the peace of His reign. The reason that God invites us into His very throne room is to experience the peace of His rule, right? We come before the presence of the King to experience the goodness of His peace. He is a King that is full of love. Perfect love. Holy love. He is a King that is full of mercy and grace. He is a King that is full of unlimited power. So despite whatever you are experiencing, despite the questions that you bring into this room this morning, there is peace that's available in and through the one that's seated on the throne. Now, a few years ago, um, my wife and I watched the show The West Wing. We didn't make it all the way through because I kind of have ADD when it comes to watching Netflix shows. But we probably made it through about three or four seasons. Um, And uh, this is a great show for a lot of reasons. The first is like I started to watch this, and this is, you know, probably 2015, 2016. And the people that worked in the White House still had beepers. You know, I mean, that tells you how much like technology has changed throughout the time. So, um, but as we watch this show, and if if you're familiar with it all, I mean, there's some wonderful characters, there's some wonderful writing. um, But what makes this show tick and what makes this show go is that it gives you kind of a behind the scenes view of the power structure of this country. So you get to see, um, but ironically, the people that are running uh, the country are these. White House staffers and interns that are kind of hyped up on caffeine all the time. They never sleep, right? And they barely make it from crisis to crisis. Like, that's what's going on, and that's what's keeping our country running, right? Well, um, good news for us. The, the, the power structure inside the universe is unlike that in any way. I mean, there is peace, and there is joy. The one seated on the throne is ruling and reigning with love and mercy. And he invites us to experience that in each of our lives. The purpose of Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 is that the atmosphere of heaven would invade earth. That we would be able to experience the peace and the goodness and the kindness of the one that's seated on the throne. Um, He wants us and he invites us to bring all of our fears, all of our cares, all of our anxieties to allow the chaos of our own hearts and our own experience, the questions that seem unanswerable, to bring them before his throne and to experience his peace. And what you're going to see is that the one that's seated on the throne is capable of swallowing up our apathy. Right? We just looked at a church that was barely alive, that was lukewarm. Well, coming before the throne envisions us and enlivens us to live for the King. Like That's the purpose, that we've come before this throne. And it's going to give us clarity about the most important things in our lives. I mean, it's impossible. I mean, it's impossible to go into the presence of God and seeing Him ruling and reigning over the world and to walk out and not ask questions about how we live our life. Right? This is to say... Am I living for the right things? Am I living in light of the one that's seated on the throne? Am I allowing his rule and his reign to make a difference in the way that I live my everyday, ordinary life? This is written to people whose lives were literally turned upside down. People that were bearing friends on a daily basis. People that were encountering persecution. People that were encountering difficulty. 
And the picture that God gives them is the picture of the throne, the one seated on the throne that is anxious to bring his rule and his reign to bear. Now, we simply are bumping up into our human limitations in this passage. You are going to bump up against my own limitations as a communicator. I mean, we're talking about trying to describe the indescribable. Right? So that's why John is using highly symbolic language here. This isn't just like a snapshot that he took with a Polaroid camera when he was at the Niagara Falls, just, just trying to capture the moment. This is more like a living, breathing, 3D, immersive kind of experience that he wants us to have. Like, so there's a difference between looking at a picture of Niagara Falls and actually going there and allowing the spray to kind of go in and, and, and run over your face and to hear the roars and the sounds. Like, that's what John wants for us, and ultimately that's what God invites us into, is to experience the fullness of this. So he uses highly symbolic language here so that we would know not just what's taking place, but that we would actually experience the rule of his reign. Which brings me to my first point. His indescribable beauty is meant to captivate our hearts and transcend our circumstances. His indescribable beauty is meant to captivate our hearts and transcend our circumstances. Look at verses 3 through 6. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So most of the time when we talk about indescribable things, we just tap out, right? Like you think, that's indescribable, why would we bother? But this is saying that this is an inexhaustible picture of beauty. It's indescribable to us, but it also holds for us real power to change. It also holds for us real power to captivate and transcend the circumstances. Right? It's impossible to gaze on the beauty of God and not be transfixed on Him. And, his, and that's supposed to eclipse, eclipse what we are actually going through in our everyday lives. So we want to slow down. This isn't supposed to be like a trip to Disneyland where you try to get on all the rides before they close. This is supposed to be um, an invitation before the king of the universe to linger, to pause, to bring the noise of your heart to the peace of his rule and his reign. And so we're going to slow down. We're supposed to look at the cumulative effect of the throne, but we're going to look at some individual parts of it because I think they can really speak to the circumstances of our lives. This throne is filled with brilliant colors. It says jasper and carnelian. Now, for most of us, that's something that you might see on the QVC network, right? I mean, that's not something that wows us. But I mean, this is before the days of excavation tools. This is before the days of mass-produced jewelry that you buy for $1.50 off of TV. This is in this time, like for John, I mean, most people have seen very little of these kinds of materials. 
And the throne room of God is filled with these unique colors. These colors are attractive and they captivate. And the reason that he communicates in this way is because the only answer for the apathy of our own hearts and See, we're always going to be worshiping something. We're always going to be worshiping what we find the most beautiful. So John, in his very human way, is trying to find a way to say, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever laid my eyes on. I can't describe it. And he's inviting us to gaze on him. So the the question for us as the people of God is, how often do we slow down just to gaze on the beauty of who he is, right? That's what the throne is, an invitation to do to pause, to linger, to bow down at the one who created everything. And he invites us to experience the rule of his reign. Our, our souls are made to lock on to beauty. I mean, just went away with several of the guys last weekend. And like we went to the Sillimore Creek and we saw the water and we saw the caverns and we saw like everybody made their ways to these places of majestic beauty, a waterfall. Right? Why do we do that? Because we're made for beauty. And each and every day, especially in our digital world, we are filled with thousands upon thousands of images that are vying for our attention. This is an invitation to experience something deeper and better. And around the throne, there's a rainbow. I love the image of a rainbow. What does that make you think of? Right? Everybody that teaches children's ministry. Right? Noah's Ark. Right? There's this rainbow that's around the throne of God. And it's a picture to us to say that God has remembered his covenant, that God never forgets his promises to remove his wrath, that around his throne is unlimited mercy for sinners, that you can come near to this God, that you can draw near despite all of your failures, despite all of your shame, you can come and you can encounter the one that is faithful to remember his promises. God never forgets his promises towards his people. And that is a visible reminder to him and to us that he will always keep his promises to us. And then there's this image of seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And we talked about this um, several times, and you're going to see this number seven is um, a picture of fullness or completion. It's not as if um, John is trying to undo our doctrine of the Trinity. It is a picture of the fullness of the Holy Spirit that is around the throne of God. That God is poised at any and every moment to pour out the fullness of His Spirit with unrestrained generosity on His people. He's there to provide strong aid for whatever you're going through right now. He's not withholding anything. It is the seven spirits of God. It is the fullness of who He is. He's there to strengthen you. He's there to encourage you. He's there. It's this picture of fire. He's there to burn away the dross. Right? Because each and every day we're picking up all kinds of weights and burdens and cares and stains that get like just embedded into the DNA of who we are. And he's saying, You can come before my throne and I will burn away all of that. And you can just be before my throne and you can experience the fullness of what it means to be a believer in Jesus. Did, did you know that? That was one of the, the things when we say Jesus Christ, like, Christ means the anointed one, the anointed one with the Holy Spirit, that he was going to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people. That's the picture that we get around his throne, that God is eager to pour out in an unrestrained way 
the power of his Holy Spirit. And then it's not only the sights of glory and color and brilliance, but it's also sounds. Like there's peals and rumblings and thunder. I mean, if you were a Hebrew, you would have be immediately thinking of Mount Sinai and what took place there. If you remember, that's where Moses received the Ten Commandments on the side of this mountain. And they said, I want you to be careful that not even an animal goes up on the side of this mountain because surely they're going to be struck dead. You know, that's what those thunder and lightning and peals of thunder mean. But what God is saying is, now, because of Jesus, you have unrestricted access. That same glory that once was something that you had to stay away from is now something, there's an open door in heaven that you are invited into. There is unlimited, unrestrained mercy and glory for the people of God. Beauty has always been um, something that suffering people hold dear to. Now, in the uh, Image Bearer series, I shared the story of um, Alfred Messian, who wrote um, this wonderful, he wrote this wonderful um, symphony inside of a prisoner of war camp, which talks about the end for which the world was created. And there were all these magician, or musicians that were gathering inside of this prisoner of war camp. And just for a moment, they got together and they played and they used the gifts and the skills that they had to see beauty that would eclipse suffering. If you're here this morning and you have deep questions that are filling your life, God invites you to catch a view of something so much more beautiful than what you are currently encountering. This is an invitation to come and to behold something beautiful. I want you to experience the ultimate beauty in the universe. That's a primary reason that we gather here, right? To encounter beauty. That's a primary reason that we sing as the people of God. Because we want something greater to capture our gaze and our attention and our affection. God invites us to do this, not on a, only on a personal level, but together, right? That's the reason that you meet in gospel communities, right? It's not just so that you can have chips and dips and pat each other on the back. It's so that you can reveal to one another the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So this throne is an invitation to experience that more and more. Brings me to my next point. His matchless worth comforts us and empowers us. Look at verses 6 through 8. And around the throne and on each side of the throne, there are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So God invites us to pay careful attention to what 
the message and the song that encircles the throne. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The only attribute of God that is magnified three times throughout Scripture is the holiness of God. Now, I learned this originally from R.C. Sproul, who is a wonderful gift. Um, in the Hebrew language, um, the way that they accentuated a word and placed emphasis on it was repetition, right? And so when we want to emphasize something, we can underline it or put it in italics or put an exclamation point at the end. But in the Hebrew, all they would do was repeat it. And so you may see in the, the Gospels, Jesus would say something like, Verily, verily, I say to you, or truly, truly, I say to you. And that means what I'm saying is especially trustworthy. You need to pay attention to what I'm saying. So around the throne, this is the character and the nature of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, as we begin to think about the holiness of God at first, this not only refers to His moral purity and His upright character. It not only refers to Him being set apart, but it also means that everything that He does is holy. His actions his ways, his love. His love for us is a holy love. That means he perfectly and wholly loves us. His love is not going to go up. His love is not going to go down. It is a holy love. Now, when it comes to what we were talking about at the beginning, the deepest questions of our existence, his rule and his reign is a holy rule and reign. It cannot be improved on. So that means for us that even though we come up to a limitation of our own understanding, that God's ways are inscrutable. They are above scrutiny. That He's always working things towards His appointed end. That He is the God that is ruling and reigning over our lives in such a way that He exercises holy wisdom. He knows exactly the way to order and govern the universe. He knows exactly the way to order and govern our lives and our hearts and our circumstances. And there's no divergence in heaven. There's no questioning in heaven. There is just this wonderful submission to saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, suffering may not make sense in the moment, but we are approaching a God who not only um, (laughs) comforts us in the midst of our suffering, but a God who entered into our suffering through the cross of Jesus Christ, who promises to redeem all suffering. See, if this world was all that there was, I mean, injustice wins, right? But we're talking about a God who is perfectly holy, perfectly just, who was and is and is to come. He is eternal. The reason that we can work for justice and we cannot take justice into our own hands is because He is an eternal being and He promises to work everything towards its appointed end. He's going to eventually remedy all wrongs that exist in the universe. Now, we may not see that perfectly inside of our own lifetimes, but there is a moment that's coming where God will reconcile all things. Judgment will be exercised over both the just and the unjust. And so in the midst of walking out our stories, it means that we can trust Him. That He is holy, holy, holy when it comes to our stories. I believe that 
God in his mercy and his grace wants us without kicking or screaming to bring our questions before him and allow him to exercise his rule and his reign over the circumstances of our lives. So whatever the thing is that you can't understand that's going on inside of your life, God wants you to know that he is holy, 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 and he will bring it to completion. It means justice is coming. This brings me to my final point. Unceasing worship unifies our hearts and our purpose. Look at verses 9 through 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Worship is the reason that we were created. We were created to ascribe to God the worth of his name. That's the reason that we draw breath at this very moment is to bring glory to God. And as we encounter this song that's always going on around the throne, it invites us and it compels us to join in, right? So it says, now I want us to to look at who's around the throne. It says there are 24 thrones and 24 elders. Um, Most commentators believe that that is the 12 tribes of Israel, those 12 heads, so those from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles, they all kind of have their spot before the Lamb. But I love how this kind of progresses. This means that both the Old Testament and the New Testament saints all point the worth and the value of the one seated on the throne. And they don't exercise their right to rule and reign. I mean, they have these rewards that are on their head, these golden crowns. What they do with them is they take them off and they lay them before the throne. Everything that I have came from you as a gift, and I lay it before your throne. They prostrate themselves before the throne. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament saints are rejoicing around the throne, saying, Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then there's these these peculiar creatures, the four living creatures that had different faces all around them. The face of a lion and the face of a human and the face of an ox and the face of an eagle. And most commentators believe that these are the the kings of various um, animals that kind of roam throughout the earth. The lion is the king of the beasts and the eagle is the, um, the king of the air and the ox is the king of the domesticated beasts. And mankind in and of itself is the pinnacle of God's creation And so what it's saying is that all of creation is unified around the worth and the value of the one seated on the throne. Both animals and humans are all made to declare the glory of the Creator. That's what this is about. We get to enter into this song. The ultimate reason that we encounter Revelation chapter 4 is because God is inviting us to join in this song. This means that our trials and our temptations are temporary 
they're going to pass away one day and we get to enter into his presence forever. Entering this throne room compels us to join him. His worth is not dependent on my circumstances. Right? So despite whether I question or I wrestle, the one that's seated on the throne is worthy. The one that's on the throne is worthy despite how you feel, how you arrived here this morning, whether you were encouraged or discouraged, whether you have a lot of energy or a little energy. It changes nothing in regards to his worth. He invites us to join in this song. And I love, I love the posture because I think this is so important. When they bow down before the throne, they are literally offering their lives back to God. I, I think we can join in imitating them by bowing not just our bodies but our hearts and saying everything that I have belongs to you. I want to enter into this song. I want to bring you my questions and allow you to rule and to reign over them. And, and honestly, only encountering this picture of eternity can mold us and shape us into missionary people in the present. right? Because if we don't have a picture of something bigger out there, like the discouragements that we encounter on a daily basis will destroy us, right? So this is an invitation to see something better. And we have to remind ourselves that this is our destiny. This is where we're headed. There is a place where God's rule and reign is most manifest right now around the throne room, but there is going to be a point where the, the kingdom of this world is swallowed up by the kingdom of God, and that rule and that reign is going to be complete, and we get to worship before him forever. That's where we're headed. And that's supposed to give us hope in the midst of everything that we face. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. I pray that somehow you would travel the distance between our hearts and your word, that you would make this alive. I pray that as we enter into this song that it would make a difference with the questions that we bring. I pray that you would quiet us with your love. I pray that you would allow us to hear the song that's around the throne and allow us to enter in with rejoicing. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.